This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome, everyone. Today, I am joined by Galen G, founder of 33 Emeralds, a consultancy focused on guiding leaders through building the future of work. Welcome, Galen. Really pleased to have you with us today. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be here. Fantastic. So, Galen, I really enjoyed your recent article published through talenttalks.net and titled Diversity of Response. And particularly in your article, you speak about the importance of holding people versus purely holding productivity. And I really wanted to unpack this and and really look at what is the meaning behind this and and how do we hold people? It's an interesting question. Uh, I think in our companies and organizations, we have been very used to holding productivity. And what I mean by that is, for example, if you think about a, a project meeting, you would be checking around, uh, checking in around what's uh, going to plan. You'd be looking at the various work streams, um, the progress on them. You'd be checking in around budgets. Um, so it's all of the facts, figures, metrics, and the progress, for example, of your project. And I think we're used to doing that. What the last year and a half has shown us is how critical it is to check in around the people and specifically to hold the people So even over the last year and a half, um, we see in professions that are used to holding people how much strain some of those professions and people are taking because of the big holding job that's emerged. So when we talk about holding people at work, we're talking about this concept that's gone really mainstream lately, and that's psychological safety. So it's about leaders really checking in with people, really checking in to see how they're doing, what's happening, uh, their progress. And the reason why we need to do this is because if things are not going so well, we need to know that so that we can mitigate for that, we can support people, we can understand what they need to keep that productivity up. And if things are going really well, we can celebrate that and learn from what's working in these these more hybrid contexts. So this principle of holding people is the same as holding productivity, but it's kind of like a deep check-in with people. And in hybrid times, we need to structure those conversations. So in order to lead in the business, we need to structure spaces where there is psychological safety, where people can speak up, where they have voice, so that we can keep going. Because things have got, uh, even for companies that are flourishing, things have got quite tricky. Absolutely. And and essentially, we, we, weren't, we weren't that good at it before. And now stepping into a hybrid model, we are, we are facing challenges we've, we've never navigated. So incredibly difficult, I suppose, to start growing and developing these skills and this level of rapport with one's, one's team at this point. How would one go about that? So one thing that we've been doing a lot with our, uh, our leadership groups is we have been, um, and I think I've, I mentioned it briefly, is we've actually been structuring spaces to check in that are work assigned. For example, one very quick uh, way of doing this is to open up a meeting, not every meeting, but um, a, a meeting maybe once a week or once every two weeks. You open up the meeting with a question <clears throat> and each person has to answer that question and it's slightly work peripheral. 
So in lockdown level five, we asked this question, what are you doing to check out of lockdown? And people came up with all sorts of interesting um, things that they were doing. Some people were taking up yoga. Some people were baking fancy red velvet cakes. But it was just a way of sharing a little bit more personal information. Everyone had a chance to answer, and they all answered the same questions. So everyone has voice. It seems like such a simple thing to do in a meeting, and it seems like it's not work essential. But just being able to connect, listen to other people speak, and to hear about stuff that's not core work uh, starts to cement those bonds and helps us to feel more connected to each other. Um, and also that structure of it. So the same question everybody must answer. It starts to give people, gives them a brief to speak up and it shows them that you, ex- you will expect them to speak up and engage. Um, and it sets a new kind of tone for the work that we do together. Absolutely. And is this what you refer to um, when you when you talk about your diversity of response? And I suppose that that's particularly rooting it back into into work information or work based speak. But essentially, by creating these spaces, you are inviting that opportunity for a diversity of responses. Mm, absolutely. And I, I think the diversity of response, there is a, uh, a tech entrepreneur called Margaret Heffern, and she wrote a book called Uncharted, How to Map uh, the Future in Uncertain Times, I think is the title. And she speaks about this, the diversity of response we need when the future is not clear. So I think leaders are increasingly grappling with this question of how to lead a business when we don't know what the future looks like. I spoke at a women in tech event, the midwinter event a couple of weeks ago, and this theme came through quite clearly as, you know, we, we feel like we're in this long tunnel and, and then we see the light at the end of the tunnel and it starts to get clearer and we, we have a picture of it in our minds and that some of us start to get a bit excited about that. And then suddenly the tunnel gets a lot longer, you know, as a new wave of COVID emerges. Um, and we've had some other country-specific challenges in South Africa as well. Suddenly, the tunnel seems a lot longer. And for leaders, it's hard to keep moving through that tunnel and keep painting a picture of what the light is at the end of the tunnel. In conditions like that, says Margaret Heffern, and you need to have a diversity of responses. You need to act. You need to try different things. You need to scenario plan into the future so that you are creating all these many different ways to respond to events which are not certain in the future. So you can see how some of these concepts start to weave in together. So if if you are holding people and checking in with them and you are convening the human imagination to prepare for different futures and you're acting you're pulling all of these things together so that you you're preparing for a future that's uncertain. So we cannot predict it, but we can prepare for it. Absolutely. And I think that's such an important uh, place to be. And as you're saying, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, I can speak from a, a Melbourneian's perspective. Our tunnel is still very long and that light <laughs> is, is quite dim at this point because <laughs> nobody's really sure how we'll be emerging. And it certainly is, uh, is something that, that leaders across organisations are, are really struggling with at the moment is really painting that picture of how we'll emerge, when we'll emerge and and what that's going to look like on the other side. Um, and so important to have, you know, almost this kit bag, it, it speaks a lot to agility, doesn't it? Mm, absolutely. And when you use the term kit bag, one of the uh, frameworks that we use a lot in our work comes from some research that was done around 2015. And it also taps into this diversity of response question. In 2015, a piece of research was conducted to look at the DNA of a game changer. And this was driven by the need to find these supposed game changers who are comfortable with risk and change and who can innovate and who can uh, lead businesses into the future. 
And the research is very interesting because it identified two characteristics of game changers that were slightly different from high potential talent. It's common in organizations. And the two characteristics, one is this uh, almost a quirky imaginativeness. So really be a, being able to see opportunities that other people don't see, having ideas that are not in the norm. It's more exponential, uh, you know, instead of seeing straight ahead, that kind of linear thinking, it's exponential thinking and seeing different things. So for example, an overly used example, which um, some people when they get up and they brush their teeth in the morning are thinking about pioneering interplanetary space travel. Now, I'm not being funny, but when I get up in the morning and I'm brushing my teeth, I'm not thinking about that. So that gives you a sense of that um, that quirky imaginativeness. The other uh, characteristic identified as part of the game changer set is tenacity or, or obsessiveness. And so once the game changer sees something that they want to change or do differently, they get obsessed about driving it through. Now, you can see why these two characteristics are so important, because that's how change happens. It's how uh, products, you know, history gets rewritten, products are developed and refined. But when you look at those two characteristics in combination, you can also see why game changers are not in a lot of big organizations is because they don't have the space to experiment and do things differently. So what we realized from the research is that it doesn't help to just look for game changing talent and recruit game changers into your organizations. You need a team of people who can create game changing outputs. So you need people who create ideas, people who business case ideas, people who are good at planning and implementing them, people who perfect and polish them, and then also people who work through teams to keep everyone aligned and moving forward. So when we look at a diversity of response, we need input from a range of different people whose natural energy lies in those different areas in order to create a team that can innovate and change the game. And there are people who sit in all of those different areas and who enjoy contributing like that. So if we can enable that diversity of contribution, if we can give space to those voices, we have a much stronger chance of navigating these more uncertain times, dare I say it, even with relish and anticipation. <laughs> so Absolutely. I think that's really important. And essentially in your article, you refer to to the six keys that leaders need to open this thinking. I think that's that's really important right now is is we almost have to unlock this potential to use your your analogy. But what are these six keys and and why are they so important? I've spoken to some of them, touched on mm. some of them already. So I think the first thing is not to do nothing, not to not act. We need to to act, and even if it's in small ways. So I think some response to the pandemic and other challenges recently has been to to paralyze and and stop acting and fall what we call below the line. So there is a model of leadership. We talk about operating above or below the line. Above the line is exploratory, positive, confident, um, collaborative. Uh, you feel good when you're in this space. Below the line is when you're feeling defensive, fearful. Um, you're buttoning down the hatches in case there's an onslaught of who knows what next. And you can see the difference in operating above the line and below the line in business. As human beings, we play in both spaces. It's it's natural. But we want to try and be conscious of if we're operating above or, the, or below the line and trying to aim to be above the line in the way that we lead. This is work from uh, from the Conscious Leadership Group, but um, suggest people look it up if they haven't heard from it. So that's the, the one thing is to act and to try and act from above the line. Of course, doing what you say you will do is so important, especially in these times, because, because that's one piece of certainty we can have. Um, asking better questions. This is from the work of, of Warren Berger. 
it's about looking at how we ask beautiful questions so that we build cultures of inquiry because we need to question the way things are so that we can find new solutions to challenges and new opportunities. So it's acting, operating above the line, asking better questions, investing in social capital. Social capital are the bonds of loyalty and trust that form when people work together. And in our hybrid times, it's harder to, to form those bonds of loyalty and trust. Some people are joining teams and companies completely remotely. They've never met their co-workers. I've had examples of that. So we need to increase our investment into building these bonds of uh, loyalty and trust. And it starts with the simple things that I spoke about, for example, structured spaces to check in, sharing a bit more personal information leaders creating those spaces to speak up. And then the sixth key, which I have spoken about a little bit, is about identifying what energizes people in teams. So from the research that I mentioned to into game changes, uh, I use an instrument called the GC index, which identifies the ways that people naturally want to make an impact. And the theory goes that if we can find those natural energies, we can look at competence in those areas or skills or knowledge. And when you put those two together, you increase the impact, you develop strengths. So it seems like such a basic concept and yet we often don't do this enough we push around pegs into square holes someone is competent in an area so we give them more work in that area but it may not be aligned to their natural energy so if we can identify this in what we call people impact data and we can align people's energies more with the tasks they do at work we're setting ourselves up for a workplace which is naturally more energized innovative and has a high chance of putting people into flow into the flow state, which is really what we need in this time. Absolutely. And again, it just speaks to, you know, just the shift that we're all going through at the moment is is really placing the focus appropriately onto our people. And part of that is really understanding them and and not seeing them as just that role that they're coming in to execute, but as as this potential. And as you say, you know, what is energizing people? Because that's really how we're going to unlock that discretionary energy and, and really actively engage them. In work again. Couldn't agree more. And, I, and you know, over the over the world uh, pandemic, the last year and a half to two years, I can visibly see the difference in teams that have constantly invested in, in building their social capital and invested in their people and those teams that haven't. Uh, and the effects are quite stark. We see people who are burning out. We see people who are bored out, quite a, a newish concept uh, where they just don't feel engaged in their work and they feel there's no meaning in the work. And uh, we see higher, uh, you know, the retention, you see it in retention as well, not in the places that you want to see that attrition. So we have the evidence coming through of how important it is to be a people first business and not just have that as part of your rhetoric. Fantastic, Galen. I have really enjoyed uh, my time with you today and I'm, I'm really looking forward to your future articles and our, our future podcasts. So thank you so much for joining me. Mm, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Karen. If I could just uh, leave with one comment. I find uh, that writing the articles for Talent Talks is so useful because it pulls concepts into focus and it gives them, uh, you start to connect dots that you hadn't connected before. So for those people who are thinking about writing, I'd say put pen to paper and do it. And and just a thanks to you, Karen, and to Talent Talks for the opportunity to write and to chat to you today. Fantastic. Thank you, Galen.